Season two of Stairway to Sevens. It's been a while. It's been a little while, yeah. Yeah. I don't know who to blame for it. Could be you. Could be me. Golf. Could, could be. Could be the cover. Could be our professional golf careers. Who knows? But nevertheless, we're back. A lot's happened, but also nothing's happened. Yeah. Strange times. I guess that can be said for the rest, the world holistically, but. Like, yeah, a lot has happened, but nothing's happened. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of been, I guess we should probably explain ourselves. One of the reasons we haven't done one of these for a while is because we had a huge influx of information, contradictory stories, news stories, hearing different things from different organizations, different state bodies, different teams. So we just decided to lay low, wait until we had a cohesive kind of, you know, timeline of, of stuff. And then we thought we'd come back noting that that took about three months longer than we thought. Yeah. Yeah. The old return to play was a bit slow, but also better to, to be safe than sorry. So we're going to start on a, uh, this has been grinding my gears for a little while and, oh, <laughs> and I'm actually really surprised that it hasn't been picked up in any of the mainstream media or, leaked or, or whatever. I guess that's a that's a credit to um you know the Australian rugby setup that it hasn't been leaked by someone. But so if we go all the way back to the original shutdown and you know we would you and I were here talking about, you know, how 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 is rugby gonna survive? What are we gonna, what are we actually gonna do? The Rupa Players Association accepted a, a pay cut. Um I think it was as much as 50%. Now, that included the women sevens. It included men's sevens, all, all the super rugby players, all the wallabies. So rugby holistically. Fast forward, and we had an announcement about super rugby's return and a new pay deal. Would it surprise you if I said that the women weren't included in that new pay deal? Unfortunately not. No. And unfortunately, that is what happened. Um, that when the new Super Rugby competition was announced, the women were left out of the new pay deal. Um, I, I, maybe you shouldn't just say the women. Sevens holistically was left out of the pay deal, which is why we saw a bunch of the men's sevens players then go back to Super Rugby franchises. I, I, you know, it was part of the reason. Um you know, to to top up their contracts and give them an, op- an opportunity to play. Unfortunately for the women, there's no, you know, there's no alternative. There's no alternative for them to play rugby as professionals other than in the seven setup. So they weren't included in the pay deal. Really, yeah, it, it's, it's something I've been sitting on for a long time, and it, I'm sure a few of you are sitting there a little bit infuriated by that. Um, but that was just the reality that they were only able to. Uh, renegotiate the pay deal for Super Rugby because that competition is is uh, reliant more on TV money, mm. while Sevens is more reliant on 
um, you know, the benefits you get from H- HSBC in terms of the travel and that sort of thing. And then um, Sport Australia funding, so effectively Olympic funding. Yeah, and that, uh, they did get that $2.1, $2.2 million injection, but purely for their Olympic campaign. Yeah, so, so so you'd assume now that they're kind of back to normal, or you know they, uh, you know maybe they they all did continue on a, a level of, you know a, a slightly smaller pay cut to kind of get get everyone through. Um, but yeah, I just I wanted to bring that up because it annoyed me. Yeah, for a long time, and I wasn't allowed to talk about it <laughs> with anyone. <laughs> okay, now that that's done. The Dream Team came out today for, or the award winners for the seven series holistically. So for those of you who don't know, living under a rock or whatever, the the rest of the series got cancelled for obvious reasons. Um, New Zealand were named winners and they've sort of waited until now to bring, bring out the awards. So I will read you the women's team and where, and where they're from and you can, you can just jump in and tell me what you think. So, uh, women's team. So, Brittany Ben from Canada, Shani Williams from Australia, Ruby Tui from New Zealand, Stacey Flula from New Zealand, Ghislaine Landry from Canada, Tyler Nathan Wong from New Zealand, and Christy Kirsch from the USA. Yeah, I guess they're... I mean, New Zealand were the, the team to beat all series long, and, and those three New Zealand players were, were pretty standout consistently, and I think... The three of them were probably in every one of our tournament teams that you and I picked. Yeah, um, certainly, certainly Flula and Ruby. Ruby too, yeah. Um, but you know Nathan Wong, also here, top point scorer. Um, she won the the women's player of the women's player of the series. It's a bit bit hard to leave her out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then obviously you know Canada were quality again and and really led by those two. Really, I mean, they're there two sort of stalwarts. A little bit surprised to only see Shani in, in terms of from Australia. I thought there was probably another one or two Australian girls that were probably fitting to be in there with, with the US team sort of being, I guess, with, without sounding harsh, sort of underperforming almost every tournament. Mm. Yeah, you know, he's sort of a bit surprised to see Kirsch in there over, you know, maybe, maybe an Australian or, you know, even... Well, I guess particularly on that in that edge. So you know, Kirsch. If we're going in order one to seven, Kirsch should be that that edge player, the backline edge, yeah, um, sort of fast forward. Yeah. yeah. So you know, if you think about some of the Australians, uh, we can start with the Australians. I guess you think about some of the Australians. So you had Tonegato play that role. You had Elia Green play that role. Um, you know, you had Emily Cherry come back and play in the centres, but obviously Ken play that role. I mean, Varney. Probably the the second name that came to mind from yeah. an Australian perspective, and she could easily play that yeah. role. So you know, yeah, may, yeah, maybe a, I guess interesting too. No one from France, yeah, which that was sort of top four, yeah, all con- series long, pretty, pretty consistently. Yeah. So yeah, you know, but having said that, I don't want to diminish Kirsch's accomplishment. Like no. she, particularly early in the series, um, often filling a role off the bench for that US team, and really like injected energy, you know, every time she got the ball, it felt like she could do something electric to kind of light the fire under the rest yeah. of the team. And I guess her, her stats on and off the ball sort of backed that up. Yeah. You know, she's a genuine workhorse. Yeah. 
So, and then I guess, yeah, as I mentioned, Tyler Nathan Wong won the UL Mark of Excellence. So that's the you know, player of the series. And then uh, the other award uh, was the DHL Impact Player. So that's uh, an award um, that's given to a, a player who sort of leads statistical categories in offloads, carries, line breaks, and tackles. So if I was now she's she was named in this um, dream team. If I was to ask you to guess who that would be, who would you guess it is? Stacy. Yeah, yeah. Stacy Fuller. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and, you know, we sort of spoke about it a number of times post tournament for for an edge player, her ability to to get back inside, find the offload, find the second touch. You know, her her work off the ball for the you know ball carries inside her, but also. Her work on the ball to create space for for other players is is phenomenal. You know, what she, was really cool for me is we kind of saw her like grow up, mm, like definitely. turn turn you know in front in front of us. Like you know, she she's obviously spent a bit of time with the New Zealand team in the in the couple of years preceding 2019, 2020. Um, but she just got better and better and better each time she played, and it was almost yeah, it was like watching someone figure out the game, light bulb went off and was like, oh, I did she know how to do this. Like, it, it was actually really impressive. I haven't seen, at that level anyway, yet, you know, we see it a little bit in the Aeon series where girls start to figure it out at that level. Yeah. But you don't really see that a lot at the top level. They normally get there and, you know, they have an impact straight away or or they and, don't. And it's sort of a bit scary where, where her ceiling could be. You know, yeah. she's got the yeah. potential to be the fastest, most skillful player on the field. And to be fair, pound for pound, probably the strongest player out there as well. Well, led so led the competition in offloads, carries, was second in line breaks and third in tackles. Yeah. And, I mean, a two-way player is mm. where the game's going. You can no longer afford just to be an attacking weapon. You know? yeah. And her, her defensively in terms of tackles, high stats, but also high stats in terms of quality tackle. So she's not making passive tackles. She's making... You know, getting up, making dominant tackles and creating up turnover opportunities. Yeah, as you say, two-way player, and, and that was evident. You know, you can see it a little bit on the TV, but when you watch the New Zealand team holistically live and the way they defend, you're on an island most of the time. You know, you're in your group of three, but it's there's a huge gap in the middle of the field. So if you miss your tackle, yeah, it's all over. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it's uh, you know part and parcel with the style that they play, but. As you say, the effect making effective tackles behind the game line, dominant tackles, putting them on their back as opposed to letting them sort of run past and get go forward. Yeah, we always talk about the decision making of defending on the edge too. You know whether whether we stay positive and keep jamming up and, mm. and coming up to line, or whether we hold off and and try and shepherd them out wide and be dominant. She seems to continually make good decisions, but mm. on both sides of the ball, which is which is scary for us. Well, and as you say, she you know. We only got half of the season done, so who knows? Yeah, yeah where? Yeah. yeah, who knows where she might have ended up if she'd been been able to play the full series, and and then moving forward, you know, towards an Olympics, um, you know, she could be anything. Yeah. By the by, the time we by the time we get there. So, coming back nationally or locally in, in here in Australia, you know, we've after a big layoff. We saw, you know, community sport return. And one thing that's been really, really good, which we haven't seen for a long time, is that 
these uh, sevens players, the the girls in particular, we see the men get a little bit of time playing um, shoot shield in Sydney, or, or you know, a couple of them play a bit of super footy. But for the first time in a long time, we've had the girls playing club sevens or and club fifteens. Yeah, yeah, which has been been unreal. And you know, unfortunately, with it being in New South Wales, we weren't able to sort of be a part of that comp. But it's been really exciting to see all those high quality Aon girls, all the Australian dev girls, and a number of the Australian, you know, sevens big dogs running around in in club footy. It's been a you know an exceptional, I guess, marketing tool for the game holistically, but also. Really good to see them engaging in club footy. And, it, you know, it, it's an unreal experience for, you know, the, the younger ones coming through. You know, the, the the top sort of level ones get some exposure with them, limited, but some exposure with them through for the Aon series. Um, you know, I know, I know that the, the University of Canberra girls took a lot from their time with Yasmin and, and with Shani. You know, Shani's a... a a special example, given that she's the Australian captain, but I know that they took a lot away from her, yeah. um, and and Yas and Yasmin too, and and you know, Shani's continued to to be in contact with those with those girls, but for for the ones that maybe don't get the opportunity to play on the Aon series yet, or you know, are, are sort of playing multiple sports and are, and are just sort of playing rugby for fun or whatever, to get that opportunity to to see. You know, pick pick a professional's brain is is really invaluable, and and as you say, it's a great marketing tool, PR tool, all of that. But just from the perspective of player development, just spending an hour with a professional player, you actually get an appreciation of of all of the things that go into being a professional. It's not just the way they play; it's the way they prepare, the way they look after their body, their food, drink, all of that. You know, just sitting there and watching them. Um, you know, I I can remember doing that as a young player, watching some of the older professional guys and the, uh, you know, the amount of things that actually went in for them that went into getting ready for a game. You know, I took some of that with me and, and it definitely helped me get into the zone, helped help me help me prepare. So Yeah, we, we had that for first year and second year when I was Aon, when I was down at, at Utah's, we had Kiki down there who's obviously US speedster and her ability to, to come off the field and just go to sleep. Like, you know, but try, trying to manage her body. And when he says go to sleep, he doesn't mean like, you know, she's not there. He literally means she would come off the field. Lie down and that was Take gone. a nap. Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, five minutes before, you know, she knew that we were we were back getting ready, boots on to warm up. Bang, she's back on her feet, ready to go. And it was it was phenomenal to see, you know, a number of those, those girls that sort of their first second years of Aon, you know, come off the field, jump on their phone, jump on Instagram, have a have a chat with family, friends, do all of these things to watch. And we also had Sydney with Tanabe, another mm. um, another player who was pushing for US selection. You know, had those two just really, really professional, I guess, club footy players that, that were able to make the jump to the, that US setup because they were able to manage their bodies on and off the field. It was it was really invaluable to have those girls and, and for our girls to really learn you know, what, what it takes to be able to get through, you know, four or five tournaments in, in a couple of months. And when you have that at the club level, it instantly brings up the level for everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And and we've actually seen that in some of the results uh, in the Shoot Shield 7s. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's been pretty even. And I imagine that's 
that's probably been led by Johnny and Scotty in terms of having the girls, yes, go back to their respective clubs for, for those that come from clubs, but also making sure there's, there's a decent spread of, mm. of talent across, across the club size and they're not all just playing for one team. We've seen, obviously, uh, the Reblets win, win two of the tournaments. We've seen Manly win one and, and Randwick Magic win, win two. And they've, you know, Manly had Sarai and, and Faith. Correct, yeah. Um, yep. Mahalia and... Cassie Staples, I think, played for Ramwick. Yeah. Or Magic, sorry. Not Ramwick anymore. Yeah. Southside Magic. Yeah, and then obviously um, Revelets are, are pretty stacked A on side as well with a number of those those Sydney Uni girls. Yeah, so you've got your Murdies and your Liv Whites, um, you know, running around there. So, you know, to say we've, we've been able to see a, a, a little bit of it um, through through the through the broadcast and it you know it's been impressive the the level has been has been strong and i think you know for the australian girls coming back um into clubland it's just really good for them to to have games at at a standard yeah. i think maybe the concern you know maybe 3 or 4 years ago with the with the sydney sevens competition is that it you know it wasn't a particularly high standard it was it was good. It was a really good entry level, a way for girls to get into the game, and then go on to rep programs. But now I think, you know, it, it you know probably barring what they're doing up in Queensland, um, it, it'd be the premier club sevens competition for women in Australia. Yeah, and and I guess that that's the you know you've got your Aussie youth girls playing Aussie development, all your Aon girls from from New South Wales and, and rural New South Wales. So, mm. Yeah. And, and you know you've even got some um, athletes coming up from Canberra from the from the ACT Academy of Sport and University Sevens program to, to to play yeah playing those those Sydney sides been unreal yeah the I think the eastern suburbs of Sydney have been lucky that they've landed a whole bunch of them <laughs> Canberra girls yeah it's good but it's and, you know it's, it's great to say we unfortunately couldn't give them the opportunity to play so it's great that they were able to find other teams to be able to play for yeah and. You know, I guess it brings us through to our next point. You know, Dubai, Sydney, and New Zealand sevens have all been cancelled. So, representing the first uh, three rounds of of the um, women's World Series, which means potentially, outside of you know, they play some more club footy this year, which will finish up sort of end of October. They're not going to get any football potentially until March. Yeah. Um. So that that would be the Canada, the Langford leg, Langford um, sevens, and then also. Oh yeah, I guess we can talk about it. The um the new the new Aon window would be from March to May. Yeah. And then an Olympics in July. It's a pretty big jump, for, but but I guess that that's the benefit of being able to move Aon around. Is you know the Aussie girls will be playing a bit of club footy, fifteen sevens here. Obviously, we'll touch on the NRL stuff a little bit later. But then moving into you know starting fresh in twenty one, having a decent Aon comp to to lead into the Olympics if there are no World Series events. So you know, yeah, and we we always talk about, and it's not sort of boasting about Australian the, the seven setup in Australia, but in reality, the, the Aon comp is, is probably the best domestic comp in, in the world. And that's why we see a number of international girls coming here to, to get exposure for their own national programs. Yeah, I think, you know, New, New Zealand 
New Zealand has a better 15s offering yeah. for women in the in the Farrah Palmer Cup, which is on the TV. So, like, you know, if, if, if you are a fan of, of women's footy or, or just footy um, in general, I would actually recommend watching some of that. Um, some unreal footy. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you, there's no – when you watch that, there's no question why the Black Ferns in particular are a dominant force in in women's world rugby. Yeah. And, you know, the, the All Blacks are too. But when you look at the quality of the domestic – um, you know, national competition that Farrah Palmer Cup, it's it's really evident why they're dominant at that level. You know, we have similar infrastructure here in Australia, but for sevens. Yeah, yeah. And as you as you mentioned earlier, the being able to kind of, you know, having I guess working with universities and 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 uh, the national body directly, you you do have an ability to kind of move that around. Um, you know, there, there's some there's some other challenges you wouldn't have, say, if you were working for a state body, like, you know, university semester timelines. <laughs> yeah. For those of you who don't know, universities all work off a different schedule for their semestering, if that's what you want to call it. Some, yeah. some have semesters, some have trimesters, some have summer school, some have winter term. So there's, you know, there's... And they're all usually a week and a half, two weeks out <laughs> yes. of alignment for some reason. <laughs> so there's periods throughout the year where they're all there together. You know, everyone, every university in Australia has students on campus, but not necessarily, um, they don't necessarily start or end at the same time. No. Anyway, I digress from that. Yeah, and so, I, you know, I guess the Aeon, the Aeon series will, will provide a key will will become a really key cog in the Olympics preparation program. You know, whether, whether or not there's world series events, um, you know, if there are world series events, that's awesome. Cause you know, we want, we want them to play as much as possible on that level. Um, and if there are those girls who are sitting at the bottom tail end of the squad, they're going to need games to play. Yep. Um, and then conversely, if it doesn't happen, they're all, they're all going to need games to play. Yeah, exactly. And I guess that's that's really the challenge at the moment with sport is we can we can have bubbles and hubs and sort of manage things within country or bringing teams out like, like what they're doing for the rugby champs. But to be running, you know, massive World Series events, you imagine is going to be very unlikely. Yeah, and, you know, if you look, you know, what, I guess one of the things that's made, that's going to make or is making... Um, sport, you know, more challenging is you have all the states operating slightly differently. So, you know, we the Queensland borders opened up to the ACT uh, today, yeah. Friday the twenty fifth of of uh, of September, but then they're closed to New South Wales still. So, if you were to drive to Queensland from the ACT, you wouldn't be allowed across the border. Um, so that you know that that is one thing that's making things really challenging, and you know, in terms of uh, you know the I guess in the in the space that we operate, that Aussie development space, um, and you know the the level below, it is going to be really challenging for you know a, ACT New South Wales to get game time against Victoria or against the the girls up in Queensland or over in WA. Or you know even up up in the NT if there's an, if there's opportunity 
to to play there at the world's hottest sevens or whatever. Yeah, you know, there's some of the borders are closed to some states, but not others. Which is why we've come up with a couple of concepts, a couple of ideas uh, to combat that. So you know, I guess one of the one of the things that we've discussed is you know, like a I guess a hub um, with some of the you know, I guess looking at ACT in New South Wales, most of the athletes that we see in that Aussie Aussie space come from you know regional New South Wales, Sydney, um, and then sort of up towards the sort of north coast or, or central coast, um, and then you know also from from Canberra as well. So you know if funding, you know time, whatever, if 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 it could happen, it would be really nice to be able to bring all of those girls together for some camps yeah. and then potentially play some games yeah. and and not necessarily as aeon series teams or as act new south wales victoria whatever but just effectively bring them in for a giant camp put them into teams and let them play yeah and i you know there, there's a few benefits to that one is you 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 get you might get to meet some new people you know I certainly, uh, during my career, would play against some guys and think, geez, that guy, is, he's not a great guy. Guilty. <laughs> but then you'd play with that person in a rep team and go, oh, okay, I get why this guy is like that. Yeah. And I respect it, appreciate it. So, you know, there, there's obviously a big benefit there. Um, and particularly for, for the group coming out of Canberra, it, it tends to be the same same athletes all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I guess if we looked at, at a model like uh, what they actually did for the First Nations selections where they brought, you know, uh, 50, 60 female and then 50, 60 male athletes into, into Narrabeen and just had a three, four days of just playing sevens and, yeah, you know, sort of mix mix the girls around between the teams and, and really gave everyone a chance to, to play some good footy. I think something like that then gives, you know, gives Johnny, Scotty, Parko, those sort of guys, the opportunity to, to have a look at a number of, of young girls that, that maybe, you know, maybe wouldn't make your, your top 12 every week for Aon, but are going to be in, in that next that next tier. Because obviously we always talk about it, you know, post-Tokyo, we're anticipating a number of the top-end girls to, to hang their boots up, so to speak. Mm. You know, so there is going to be a void to fill in that space, which is going to move everyone up. And then, you know, in 12 months' time, that development space is, is going to need fair amount of depth yeah and and look there's no reason then that you can't roll out a similar concept in queensland yeah. you know do do something similar down in melbourne or in victoria um tasmania south australia you know i don't need to name the states they you guys know there's a few of them yeah you know who they are but there's no reason you couldn't you know roll out a similar concept you know you might not get 50 athletes yeah. um for a, a in tassie or or in in WA, but you might get 25. Yep. Um, and, you know, so some, some good content for them and then some opportunities to play. And then, you know, if you can provide that at the you know back end of this year or right at the start of next year, then that gives them a good foundation platform to then go back to their Aon teams with some, you know, with some upskilling, a little bit of contact conditioning, game conditioning, that sort of thing, and then roll straight into a, an Aon series, which, you know, which we would hope would then be, another 
another jump above, another, another level, yeah. uh, another level above. Um, and then I guess there's something we've spoken about a bit off air is, is this Australian, New Zealand sort of mm. HP sevens hub, obviously doing it for, for men's, men's 15s in the rugby championship space. But you know, there's no reason in that, in that window post, post Aon, they don't, whether the Aussie girls go to New Zealand or New Zealand come here, run sim- something similar to what they actually did in, in the US when New Zealand yeah. and Canada went went to San Diego and had a, a three team hub. Yep. Sort of that was well well before COVID, sort of the start of the last year's World Series. Um, you know, and, and bring bring thirty girls whichever way we go across the Tasman, um, and have, you know, effectively six team tournaments with three teams from each and, and really give a number of the top end girls obviously the you know, that next step up from Aon, but also keeping those those next tiers engaged. Yeah, and and you know if if uh, as you say, if, you know that we our understanding is the the word is that a number of those elite girls are, or, or established girls are gonna um, you know move move on from the game. Yeah. Then you know maybe there's an opportunity to pick a couple out of the Aon series or or out of some of these regional camps um, to participate there. Yeah, I mean they they picked that Aon Dream Team, and that you know. A number of those girls usually play in the Oceanias. Yeah. Um. At the end of the year. Yeah. Uh, and also, obviously, Aussie schoolgirls. Mm. There's no reason you, you couldn't take a number of those girls to, you know, as we sort of touched on earlier, the the benefit you get of being around professional players in terms of development is is second to none. So if we could genuinely give them some first hand experience of that, you know, playing against, you know, arguably some of the best players, male or female sevens players in the world in in the New Zealand girls. Yeah. And and you know, I think sport now, you know, at least for the next twelve months, maybe longer, is is going to be bubble based. Yeah. You know, bubble, whatever you want to call it, it's going to be contained, confined, quarantined, potentially, you know, with not a lot of fan engagement in terms of fans at games. Mm. Um, you know, I know, you know, if you look at the NRL. You know, those guys are basically just allowed to see their family and nothing else. Um, you know, if you look at, uh, I guess the States is in a different, a whole different world in terms of uh, where they're at with the virus. But, you know, if you look at the NBA and WNBA, those those guys are taken away from their families um, and were, had to quarantine on their own. You know, they've now, they've since let some of their family members come into the bubble, but, you know, they're com- effectively, you know, they might they might as well be playing on the moon. Um, and I just think, you know, I think that's, that's just how sports are going to have to operate. And, and even, even at the Aon level, it's probably, it's probably not going to be the same as it was for that reason. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that has been discussed is, you know, turning it into, uh, effectively into two hubs, like, a um, you know, and I guess ACT, New South Wales, Victoria, hub and a South Australia or maybe South Australia is in, in there too. And then, you know, sort of a WA Queensland, you know, some kind of hodgepodge of that. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we, we've again spoken a little bit about that off air. Obviously if we can get some more games, that's fantastic. And it also allows us to potentially engage some more universities from those regions that, that wouldn't have the, the resources to be involved in, in the, in a what we would call the, the national Ion U7 yeah. series. Yeah. And then, yeah, I guess from those regional hubs, I think the plan is to then sort of you know pick those top sides to then compete in in a national hub. 
Yeah. So I mean, I guess this is all sort of it's all it's all kind of up in the air. A lot of it, a little yeah. bit of speculation. Yeah, and and I think a lot, you know, I think a lot of it will hinge on you know what happens with the broadcast deal. You know, we just we just saw that Qantas has pulled at least their cash component of their sponsorship, um, which is going to make travel a little bit more difficult for Australian teams holistically. Um, so you know, I think a lot of it will depend on you know where when we get to the end of this financial year, which is uh, at the end of this month, so in a couple of days for rugby, you know, where they ended up after after everything happened and, and, and how, how bad the damage is and then, you know, what they're able to, to pull from a broadcast deal, a new Super Rugby competition, more test matches, yeah. um, you know, Women's World Cup. Yeah, exactly. Sort of and, stuff. and I guess, unfortunately, some of it does hinge on how the Wallabies go in yeah. the rugby champs at the end of the year. So, obviously, we, we hope they go so well. So, what you're saying is we're in trouble. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I just saw a report. Hey, the Argentinians haven't played rugby in forever. And they've just signed... Since February. And they've just signed checkers, so anything yeah, could happen. They're in, yeah, well, okay. Well. <laughs> I knew that would touch a nerve. <laughs> Mario and Michael, eh? Yeah. The bad boys. Yeah. Sorry, I did interrupt you. No, no, no that's all right. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the unfortunate reality of, of Rugby Australia is they rely heavily on the Wallabies, and, and that comes... Yeah. From the TV revenue and and all of those things, but I, I guess you know we we mentioned earlier that that two point one two million they got for their Olympic funding. You know, there is, you know, there is the potential that some of some of that does cover a bit of the Aon resourcing outside of what the universities are, are willing to to put up and manage, and, and obviously the the separate institutes as well in that development space. So, I think there is a lot of potential to do a lot of good things with Aon, given that the challenges that we have. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and look, I you know I think some kind of um, you know don't want, don't want to call it promotion relegation, but some kind of ability for a team, you know, to take take CSU for example, so Charles Sturt University in in Wagga Wagga, the Reddies, um, they play for a long time have played women's sevens and have been really dominant at at women's sevens in the local competition. They're now playing tens because it's a tens competition. And I think the the goal long term is for that competition to be a fifteen side competition. Yeah. But take them just as an example. They're they're an example of a of a, a rugby club attached to a university, you know, full of students, um, who you know m- might look at their group and go, well, we actually have a really special group. Um, let's have a crack at the regional Aon series, and see how we go, and then then they do well, then there's an opportunity for them to play against some of the best teams in Australia. So some kind of mechanism to introduce new teams, new athletes, provide more opportunity is a really good thing. And I think by by going to a model as such where you have a, you know, a regional component and a national component, just like the NCAA has with their basketball conferences, tournament yeah. conferences, you know, then not only not only are you constantly you know providing more opportunities for for athletes students whatever but you're pushing those teams at the top end of the, the spectrum you know so your UQs your um your Griffiths um and, and you see you yeah, the, those teams at the top to consistently innovate yeah and and you know you only have to look at Super Rugby as an example. So Super 10s, 
you know, no, no, you had New South Wales and, and Queensland. All of a sudden, this in Super 12, the competition becomes professional. You have this weird team from Canberra who are full of guys who had been cast aside effectively by the Waratahs and Reds and, and a bunch of local kids. You know, there, there was a guy in there, George Gregan, another guy, Stephen Larkham, another guy, Joe Roth, who uh, I think they were all fairly good at rugby. Yeah. <laughs> and in their first year, made the, the Super Rugby final. So, you know, the, the idea that, you know, someone can come in at the bottom and then within a year be the, you know, one of the two best teams in Australia, in the world, whatever, however you want to do it. It's a, it's a really appealing thing. It's a really nice story. Yeah. And, and if you look at, you know, um, English rugby, the Exeter Chiefs were in third division five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. They're now one of the top teams in, in the, in the British competition or in the English competition. Yeah, and I guess having having the ability to engage more teams also allows us to engage a lot of those regional areas. So you exactly. look, look at somewhere like Queensland. You know, when I was coming through, you know, uh, uni games like JCU from Townsville, they were the the top women's team consi- consistently. And then you looked at sort of that that Queensland national sevens team. Like a number of girls were from JCU, and then mm. ended up when Owen kicked off, ended up playing um, for UQ. Yeah, you know whether they were transferred unis or, or had moved back to Brisbane, et cetera. But there's, you know, there's the same in Sydney. There's another like, three or four universities that, that play women's sevens that, you know, we always talk about building the foundation will help the top end. You know, the stronger exactly, we are yeah. at the bottom, the yep. more players we can push up and, and the better that talent is. Mm. And it it also, it's it's better for the sport holistically at the end of the day. The, the more, you know, Rugby Australia love their KPIs. The more players we've got playing, the more registrations, all those sort of things. It, it just makes sense. I'll ask you this question: When we, when you look at Super Rugby, Super, you know, look at Super Rugby in Australia or the the previous format of Super Rugby. If you came last, what what were the consequences? Yeah, not much. I imagine maybe maybe a tiny bit of TV revenue, but <laughs> so uh, you know, it, I guess. Well, I guess what I'm the point I'm trying to make is that: Do you think that? When we had five teams, everyone was kind of just happy about being there. Yeah, well, um, you know, as a as a Melbourne Rebels member, you know, number of years where sort of the back end of the season, you'd be like, "What are we doing, guys?" Like, you, you don't really look like you're playing for much. Mm. You you sort of yes, we're not you're not on top of the Aussie Conference, so you're sort of just thrown in the towel. Yeah, and you know, Super Rugby didn't have a shield, so you know, most most. If you look in New Zealand's NPC, they have the Ramfurly Shield. So you, if you have that when you play at home, you put that up. So even if you're, even even if you're wire up a bush playing second division, and you play against Canterbury in the preseason, Canterbury will put that trophy up, and you you win yeah. that, you take that trophy yeah. back down to second division with you. Yeah. Well, I mean, how good's the FA Cup for, for soccer in, exactly. in England? You know, how, how good's the Heineken Cup when it when it was the Heineken Cup? I, I can't remember what it is now. Yeah. But, you know th- those te- those competitions where teams from all over Europe can can come together. Obviously, FA Cup, all, all the different divisions play, and there's it's, it's something different on the table every time. And it, it not only engages the players more consistently, gives gives us I guess sort of the development players in those top sides more opportunity. Yeah. Well, just- and I think that's where Sevens traditionally has done a really good job in that. You know, 
there's usually a you know a top four, so you're playing off for first place. Then you've got a middle four, so you're playing off for fifth, and then you've got a bottom four, or effectively, so you're playing off for you're playing for um for eighth or ninth. Yeah, I think no, uh, ninth. Ninth. Yeah, ninth. Yeah. Quick math. <laughs> So no, so I guess the point we're trying to make is that, 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 that no matter where you are, and you, if you look at the Aeon series as an example, you know you could, you basically you have to win three out of your four games yeah. to to advance to the, to go through to be a, a top four team to play for medals. Yeah. If you win two, you still get to play for fifth. So the, yeah. there's still an incentive, even though you didn't qualify for the top, you know the, the top prize. There's still an incentive. That engages the players. It's like, well, fuck, fifth, fifth is ours. Fifth is ours. Yeah. So, and, and it's sort of you, know, you look at day one. You know, you may have a really tough pull on day one, and and the players obviously don't have a great day, disheartened, and then you just hit the reset button because day two, you know, there's something new to play for. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's always a new carrot. Yeah, and you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that we should we should go the promotion relegation route, but what I'm saying is that if you've got New teams coming in all the time, new players, new talent. Then, as 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 an established team who maybe has been there since the start, you have to adapt. Yeah, I mean, you can't afford to get comfortable. Yeah, yeah. And and you're constantly being challenged because you may not know a lot about JCU or Charles Darwin University in the Northern Territory, or you know one of the Perth universities. So you may you may not know enough about them, and they might come at you. And shock you in the first half, and all of a sudden you're down by five points, and you you're trying to figure it out on the fly. Yeah, and I mean that was the exciting thing about. I mean, all the universities had that first year. Mm. You know, obviously being with UTAS, we were sort of tipped to you know to be be at the bottom, and then that last tournament, uh, where were we bond? Bond, yeah. And, you know, we came out and finished. Yeah, finished third, but we were given fourth. But you know, <laughs> we won't get into that. But you know, we we came out and, and because we'd had. Why don't you tell me to kick a drop goal? Yeah, well, yeah. Um, yeah, because we hadn't had, you know, a couple of good tournaments. Teams sort of took the foot off the gas and then all of a sudden mm. we came out and smoked a number of teams and ended up ended up third, say tied third, um, <laughs> in, in that last tournament. And then all of a sudden for all those those Utah's players that, that had put in a shitload of work and, and hadn't got the results they deserved, all of a sudden, you know, they finished the series on a real high and then start second year Aon, you know, at a much higher level than probably what they would have if they had got another you know, seventh or, or whatever. And then, uh, yeah, last year, you look at, like, UWA came in, no one knew what to expect with UWA, and they smoked us in their first game. In the game. first game, yeah. We, yeah. You know, we tried to prepare as best we could, and but they, they just played with a little bit more of a chip on their shoulder than what we anticipated, which yep. was unreal to see. And it was, you know, as as coaches who lost in that situation, it was obviously disappointing that, that we lost, but at the same time, it was it was pretty unreal to see these, the, you know, mostly young girls come in and just, just rip in. Well, and the and the other thing it did is that so they they knocked us off in the first game of the tournament. Yeah, like game one, no one had touched the field yet, and all the other teams went, oh, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So then it forced them to to prepare. Yeah, you know, and and I think had they not have had they not have beaten us in the first game, they might have beaten someone else in the second or third game. Yeah, um, and you know, I guess unfortunately we saw. We saw them sort of decline on day two, given it was their first crack at the two-day format. Yeah, and the, the six-hour time difference. And, yeah. Like, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's a few a, challenges. There's a few them. challenges, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, that is, that, is a, that is a great example of why 
you know, you would want to introduce some new teams. Um, and, and I think the, the idea of earning the right to then play for a national title is important. Um, you know, I think, you know, one thing that, I, that I, I hope happens in, in the aftermath of this is with this club championship they're talking about for the, the men's 15s format and, and hopefully the women's 15s format too, is that if you win a premiership in your region or your state or whatever, you know, you, you play for that national title. Yeah. You know, hopefully not with 15 Wallabies in that sort of showed up to training a week before. <laughs> Oh, who's got the most money? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, and look, I guess our last uh, our last item on the agenda, um, you know, we have talked a lot about today. You know, the the opportunities that that uncertainty are, are kind of presenting, and and some of the the ideas that have been that have been floated around that. But one of the things that's been uh, you know, we've we've seen a lot of in the media recently. Is speculation is that the Sevens girls um, are going to go and play NRLW, and we've seen some of them sign. Um, and I think it's I think it's great. Like I, I, I think there's a there's a mentality, and I don't know. I I can't speak for rugby league because I, I'm not involved in that sport. I don't, and I don't know enough about it. But there's a sentiment in our game that they're the enemy. Yeah. <laughs> not and and not that not just in the women's format. It just yeah. that, you know that they're so similar that they're the enemy. Yeah. I actually think it's great that they've been able to engage each other, the the NRL and and Rugby Australia, to work out a situation that is going to benefit. It benefits them because they're they're getting some really high quality athletes, and in some cases some high high profile athletes. Mm-hmm that they're bringing across to the game. And for, for rugby, it's an opportunity for them to play. Yeah, and, and I imagine an opportunity for them to earn some some money that they may not yeah. have been able to earn with, with the pay cut. And and also a way to, to challenge their skills. So Totally. We, you know, we sort of look at, you know, Elia, obviously one of my favourite humans, is, you know, she's always playing on the edge or in that fast-forward role. And, and you know, there's sort of... We, we demand a finish from her, you know, consistently. And... And then you look at her going over to, to NRLW and, and we sort of discussed about, you know, where would you play, Elliot? Do you, do you sit her on the edge and, and just, you know, expect her to do the same thing? Or, you know, we've had, yeah. we've had the luxury of watching her in training. She's, she has an unreal pass. She has so many of these little... Offload game. Finesse skills, you know. Yep. You know, you could put her in the centre. You could play her at fullback and, and let her just kick return. Like, who's, who's getting in front of Elliot... You know, offer well. Quick return. I mean, you, you you play her at prop and have her run off the the dummy half. Yeah. Tell me who's stopping her there. Not me. And you know, if if I'm if I'm um in you know the the national coach's seat, if I'm in John's seat, and you know they're playing her up front, I'm like, that's awesome because she's getting repeat efforts, repeat carries. She's building that. You know, in sevens, it's it's a lot of it's longer efforts. You know, one long effort, one yeah. big effort. Yeah. And then, yeah, and it, particularly for her, as you say, we expect finishes. It's a sixty meter run, yeah, and then not much, and then another sixty meter run. Yeah. Whereas this, you ten meter hit, yeah, ten meter hit, you know, and and building a level of fitness, but also building a level of conditioning, contact, you know, really hardening the body to get used to those repeat efforts. The up and back nature of rugby league, it's a different kind of fitness. Well, yeah, I mean, you look, you look at some of those players, like you know, in the men's. In the men's game of, of rugby league, like your GIs and, and those, even Manu Vatavai as, as a warrior, you know, playing 
playing on the wing and, and returning those kicks and, and defensively and being able to get up and contest high balls. You know, you, you look at those transferable skills back to sevens, you know, kickoff receipts, you know, obviously strong carries. And one thing Elliot sometimes gets gets in trouble for is, is ball security in contact. You know, in rugby league, that's that's massive. Yeah, you know, and you she, have to learn that pretty quick. The, 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 you know, you compare, I guess we compare it to Stacey Fuller being, mm. being the marquee, the winger in the sevens game. You compare being able to absorb contact from her versus a rugby league winger, you know, it's it's yeah, well, you know, it's you only going to benefit some, it. Someone like Tiana Penitani playing for St. George, who had, you know, ironically was a gold medalist with the Sevens program, but yeah. is now a um, a different profile, different type of athlete, much bigger, you know, really good aerial skills, um, much more, you know, in front of you rather than around you. Yeah. You know, so, you know, having to absorb, repeat efforts from someone like that. Yeah. I guess one of the big things I've seen with her is her abrasiveness. Yeah. It's just, you know, she, yeah. um, and, and then obviously with the Warriors, you've got, got Varney there as well. And, and I mean, talk about positions with Elliot. Varney could play anywhere from lock to half, the centers, to fullback, yeah. to wing, to yeah. wherever you want. And, yeah. and she's quick enough to, to compete with the best of them. And, you know, the, the other thing I really like about it is they just, they haven't all, Signed for the same team. No. They're not all playing for the Roosters or the Broncos or yeah. the Warriors. They've they've spread. You know they've they've been able to spread out. They're going to get an opportunity to play against each other, which I think which is, is cool. Going to be cool, yeah. You know, it'll be awesome to see Varney and 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 Kaslik go at it. You know, in the in the halves, say, yeah. in a game yeah. or, or whatever. Yeah, um, I mean, can can you imagine Kaslik even playing fullback and and sweeping around the corner and playing, you know, playing a three on two. There's no reason she couldn't be just as effective as Tedesco is for for the male roosters. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Her her ball skills in, in that you know in that competition will be will be right at the top. And you know one of the things I do like is so Ali Brigginshaw. For those of you who don't know Ali, she um, was voted the the best women's rugby league player. Um, I mean, I guess in the world. Yeah, I, I don't think it'd be ridiculous to make that claim. No, no. I mean, it, she was pretty dominant in that that World Cup, yeah. At the back end of the year as well, so yeah, yeah. Um, and you know she's come out and said, but you know, thrown a bit of shade, which I'm not mad at. You know, she's she said that, um, you know, I'll read the quote for you. I can't, and she's talking about Charlotte Kaslick here. She says, I can't imagine teams are going to give uh, are going to give her much space, particularly because she's coming to the game with a name. Um, I know she'd know the rules around rugby league. But the fact that she's never played a game before, I find that really interesting. Yeah, but I mean, she was also an Australian touch player. Yeah. So in terms of understanding how to how to manipulate the line and all those sorts of things. Well, and and you know, Ali plays for the Broncos, and you know, one of the things that could happen, I'm not saying it will, and and uh, you know, there, there's some elements there of 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 Ali's comment that I agree with in that. There, you know, and I, I can, I can see, I can certainly see it from her point of view, where this woman hasn't played any rugby league. You know, she she's played high level touch and and won a gold medal, but hasn't played any rugby league. There's been a lot of media and fanfare about it and whatever. But Ali is the, she's the best player. Yeah. Um. But ironically, if Kaslik was to do really well, and you know, and 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 have an impact. Uh, with the Roosters, there's a possibility that Ali and Kazakh play six and seven for uh, Queensland together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, it's interesting that 
you know, when NRL kicked off, there was lots of speculation, whether it was true or not, that, you know, Charlotte was potentially yeah. going to sign for Brisbane and be their, be their marquee player. And then obviously with with still tra- wanting to train in Sydney with the Sevens, etc., she's decided to stay in Sydney and sign with the Roosters, not not go to Brisbane. But yeah, I, I imagine there's there's lots of things going on behind the scenes mm. with that. And, you know, I hope all of them have, have unreal NRLW seasons and I hope NRLW overall is a great... Yeah, serious because it's it's at, at the moment, unfortunately, it's it's the one avenue for a lot of these girls to be professional athletes, which is fantastic. And and yes, it's rugby league, but as you, as you touched on, they don't have to be the enemy. You know, th- there's no reason why we can't have dual athletes. Well, and uh, you know, I might I might get punched in the face for saying this, but if you're going to draw a parallel between sevens and a different form of rugby, mm. I, I agree. <laughs> I know where you're going. I agree. Rugby league mirrors sevens a little bit more closely than the fifteen aside version does. Yeah, yeah, and and let yeah, that's not necessarily to do with tackle technique or breakdowns or any of those things. That that's more around, the, I guess, the athletic performance. Correct. Yeah, yeah, and and a little bit too in the way that rugby league is more, particularly out wide, is more one on one. So you're yeah. trying to manipulate space, manipulate your defender. As opposed to, you know, in the 15-a-side game, you're trying to punch through contact. Yeah, and I guess it's, it's more that attacking skill set versus in 15s, you know, we're playing 65 phases, then we're box kicking, then we're playing 65 phases and then box kicking. and <laughs> Like the Brumbies did. Yeah. Love the Brumbies. Yeah. On your, on your Brumbies. Yeah. Um, but no, we've, we've often talked about, you know, you look at a number of, I guess, even here in Canberra, club rugby league players would be phenomenal sevens players just because of the skill set they've developed in that in that game. Yeah, so so don't like don't send us heaps of rude emails and tweets and stuff. We're not we yeah, the point we're making is that there are parallels between their their athletic performance, physical fitness and the way in which you attack in rugby league and defend. Yeah. It's you you're more isolated than you are in in the 15 aside game. Yeah, and and I mean it it goes back to us talking about you know the reasons basketball players are successful sevens players like um, Chloe, Chloe Dalton, yeah, yeah, and and Abby, yeah, you know there's reasons why there's transferable skills with volleyball, with you know netball, like AFLW, like there's so many different sports that are that have transferable skills, yeah, that we just seem to because because effectively they're pulling girls in different directions, we just see them as the enemy rather than what and it seems to be. What rugby Australian and NRLW have, have gone well. Let's put the players first. Let's find a, a you know, a situation, a plan that's going to work best for that individual player and, and make it work for both orgs. So exactly. I, I yeah. think it's fantastic. And and you know, we've seen in the seven space they've they've had success. Well, you know, we haven't we haven't seen Chloe play yet at at, at a at, you know since since returning from AFLW. But you know, they they worked out a, a an arrangement with Carlton while she was playing there for her to do. To get some rugby content while she was while she was training with them, so we've seen rugby Australia have success already with this model. Yeah, and I mean, Carlton have allowed her to to stay on for another 12 for another twelve months, months to, to yeah. still have a crack at, at Tokyo, which you know I think is a credit to to both obviously Carlton AFLW and NRA. And I think it's an important it's an important point is that the, you know I think making sure one the athletes looked after, but two that they're they're engaged. They're doing what they want to do. Yeah. And as soon as you, you know, as soon as you're able to get that information from the athlete, 
I want to do this. You can you can provide those opportunities for them. Yeah, and and as soon as I say, you know, as soon as we say to an athlete, Liam, you can't do this, you can't do that, you're going, well, why? Not? why? Yeah. Why, yeah. James? Well, because <laughs> you signed a bit of paper. But, yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. And and obviously with COVID and, and the lack of, you know, potential fans and the potential lack of money, I think this is a really in, inventive way to keep girls engaged at the top level of, of sport. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Well... I think that was a pretty good pretty good show, mate. Yeah. I think we've done it. We do have to do one thing, though. And I think O'Keefe's going to be upset, but he doesn't matter. Matty Chapman. <laughs> yeah, Matty C. Happy birthday, mate. It's the only reason we came back on him. <laughs> I know you listened to the show, so we thought we'd give you a shout-out. O'Keefe. Sorry, mate. Yeah. The music started again. They keep doing it to us. Anyway, thanks again. Thanks to the cover for allowing us to have a 15-month break from the show. We will attempt to make this a bit more regular for season two, probably a show every couple of weeks. You know, might blow it to once a month if if there's not much happening. Depending but, how good would a golf we get. Yeah, yeah. If, if either of us are on the Australian Open, Australian PGA Tour soon, you know, it'll, it'll be the end of it. So thank you again. We look forward to hearing your thoughts. <laughs>